what was the biggest factor for you that kind of caused you to review that and look at it and say, well, hang on, I'm worth Mm. more than this? I think number one thing was feedback for me. So I have a 90 plus percent engagement rate in my coaching sessions. In fact, I was with an organization the other day, a local council, and they asked the question, was this helpful, yes or no? And 49 said yes and one said no. So I want to find that person. (laughs) (laughs) I want to track them down. (laughs) Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. Unique perspectives, practical insights, and unexpected discoveries directly focused on giving you the unfair advantage. Introducing your hosts, Nadia Hughes and Terence Toe. Hi, Terence here, and welcome to today's episode of the Unfair Advantage Project. And today we're interviewing Lance Perdet. Lance was a police officer and for 22 years in the New Zealand Police Force and also spent 13 years as a crisis negotiator. He's since gone on to be the founder and CEO of Warn International. He's a presenter and he's also an author of a book called Behind the Tape. And today we discussed how to manage yourself, your team and others, particularly in difficult situations, to get the best outcomes. So I hope you enjoy this episode of The Unfair Advantage Project. Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project, and today we've got a great guest here. <laughs> We're going to find out along the way. Yeah, By the name of Lance Burdett, and just flown in from New Zealand. So thanks for coming to see us on the not quite sunny today, Mornington Peninsula, on your way pretty much straight out of the airport. Thanks My a lot pleasure. for your time. And again, Nadia's kind of introduced us too so i'll let nadia get started with some questions of course again thank you very much for coming and taking this so in such a good spirit you are an international crisis negotiator what other titles do you have so yeah i was a a crisis negotiator and an international responder to hostage situations for new zealand police i led new zealand police in negotiations i still go back there Although I left the police four years ago, I still go back to New Zealand police and uh, spend a day there with new negotiators coming around. So my main, I guess, my expertise was suicide intervention. So dealing with people in crisis and how to get them out of that. Yes. And it's because it's dealing with police, they obviously got themselves into trouble. Yeah. It's different for everyone, but most people. So 80% of our brain is negative. So the only positive memory we have in our life, it is said, for long term is holidays. And so 80% of our memory is negative. So that builds up in time. And if we don't sleep well, if we don't exercise well, if we don't eat well, if we don't socialize, in other words, talk with other people, there's a high chance that we may end up starting to self-talk. And that builds up to negative self-talk. And that, that voice inside all of us that we all have starts talking back to us and it's our biggest critic, etc. And those things build up and little little milestones along our life will get in the way of things and, and it actually puts a, a mark in your hippocampus, your long-term memory, these negative events. And they will keep coming back and coming back and sometimes with people it just gets a little bit over overwhelming. In one of your articles, you basically training people, trying to give some tips on how to become more positive in your brain and mm. shut this voice down. What <laughs> one of the most prominent technique you would call, apart from meditation? Yeah, well, that's right. Um, so I'm a big believer in the rubber band on the wrist. It comes from neuro-linguistic programming. You just wear a rubber band on your wrist and you flick it every time uh, you have a negative thought. 
And what it does, it disrupts the neurotransmitters. So our brain likes to run on pathways, and that's how we learn things, so neural pathways. When you concentrate on one thing for a long period of time, it becomes like a superhighway, if you like. And so the idea is to try and break that pattern. So we try and break it. There's a number of, I teach five techniques. The one that I like the best is flicking a rubber band on your wrist, on the inside of the wrist, and it just disrupts your thought processes. And eventually you're going to start thinking about other things. That's probably the, the easiest and best option that a lot of people find. We are, this podcast is designed to service our business owners. Right. And business owners quite often have these panic attacks. There is something, mm. well, let's put it in the trivial terms, a big tax bill comes <laughs> and we're having a paper bag. I feel the pain. <laughs> <laughs> really? But, oh, well, all right, first of all, look at it positively. Government doesn't affiliate tax success. So yeah. <laughs> that's how big bill, big profit. However, when people get caught in a panic mode, what would be your technique? Yeah, so inside of our brain is something called the amygdala, and that's responsible for what we call the amygdala hijack. It's responsible for fight or flight. And so when you go into fight or flight, your heart starts to beat fast and your breathing becomes short and shallow. You go into more into your right brain, which is creative and defensive side of your brain rather than the logic part of it. And so when you go across and all these things, adrenaline goes into your blood and into your muscles to make you strong, and so does cortisol. Cortisol is a blood thickener as well. It's designed so that you don't bleed to death when you get attacked by a wild animal. So we don't need that stuff anymore. And it's there's only two ways to overcome it. In fact, one, the most important way is breathing. And there's a number of breathing techniques you can use. So special forces soldiers have a different breathing technique. They just breathe out. But they also use muscle memory. So they train like they play. So they'll train with bullets flying at them. You're not going to have that in, in a business, but... but you I would imagine. be... It's actually would be metaphorical bullets. Yeah, that's you, right. You, you, get, yeah, yeah. you get feeling yeah, overwhelmed and bombarded yeah, by what else is coming at me. That, that's exactly it. So that's what the brain... So the brain is designed to look for danger and exaggerate it. It's called catastrophization. Let's look at see what danger's out there and let's exaggerate it. And this, again, all happens. Now... It is said we go through 18 to 20 fight-or-flight panic attacks every day. Mm-hmm. Some we know, some we don't. So the ones that we do know, the easiest way to control yourself is to take a very big, deep, quiet breath. That'll fill your lungs with air, and that stops them from pumping. This And, and you know, that little... Th- we only use a third of our lungs in fight-or-flight. The second thing to do is to hold your breath. When you hold your breath, your heart rate will slow down. And the third thing to do is to control that little voice inside your head. Never, ever do anything immediately when you're in fight or flight because it goes back to your, we have four brains, it goes back to the original brain, the one that says defend yourself. So we, what we can do is we can either count inside our head, 1001, 1002, 1003, and the reason we put the thousand in there is to stop us from going one, two, three. <laughs> or slow is smooth, smooth is fast. It's a mantra that that soldiers use, that the military use, and tactical teams use. It's around slowing down your thoughts. So you actually say it inside your head. You think it to yourself. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And when you do that, it, your thoughts slow down and you go to your, to your rational brain. Now, that's the number one way of dealing with fight or flight. It is the best. And one of the things I teach in emergency response is, and it comes from what's called the STAR technique, stop, think, act, and review review comes later so I say stop breathe act and the only two things you can do and act is I'm either going to stay or I'm going to go fight or flight 
Mm-hmm. So simplification of things. Are, I mean, things have got complex these days, and then we've got to sort of try and roll them back a little bit. So that's the number one technique to dissolve all that energy because it builds up over a day. You know, we find this in the customer service industry. If you have two or three bad calls or two or three bad customers, chances are your fourth, fifth, and sixth are going to be the same because you've got adrenaline, cortisol, you're in fight or flight, and the next customer comes in. Hi, here you go. <laughs> and you're, and you're ready. And you, they turn around and go, well, all right, you want to fight? Let's do it. Let's do it. So the, the, yeah. the, there's already a lot. I mean, we've only been going for a few minutes. But uh, so out of what you've spoken about, there's just so, kind of so much to unpack there. But it, one of the things that interests me is maybe how can we identify when we're in fight or flight mode? Is there, is there very simple ways that we can say to ourselves, okay, now we know, mm. you know, we can identify the reaction? Yeah, well, it's, it's pretty simple. Your heart rate rises. It okay. starts to beat faster and your cheeks will go red. So that's a way of identifying in somebody else if they're in fight or flight, their cheeks will get quite red. Okay. And so they will, uh, you'll know that they're about to launch at you, plus the other person will start to argue, argue or become annoying with you, and then they go to anger and then they go to aggression. So it's the heart beating faster because that's as soon as that amygdala sparks off, all, this thing, all these things happen in an instant, and the heart rate rising is the number one sign that you're in fight or flight. Some people think it's a panic attack. It's not. Yeah, it might be, <laughs> but most cases, but most cases, let's let's err on the side of no, it's not, <laughs> and it, it's just holding your breath. So if you feel your heart going, yeah. you don't even have to take a breath. Yeah. Just hold your breath, and that will slow it down. It's also very important for business owners. They have negotiations all the time. Mm. They're buying businesses. They sell businesses. Things go wrong. They go into finance, refinance. Things. They're heavily dependent on their communication skill without re- recognizing it on, on, on the surface. Right. It's all hidden. Mm. We're obviously going and we going based on cold facts. This, this is what has effect. But majority of negotiation and business can be going either way. They all have 50% of chance yeah. occurrence. Yeah. Therefore, when in negotiation, what's the biggest failure factors of negotiation and what are the actually success factors? I've got a program called From Crisis to Control. So I've taken out of crisis intervention, which is what my expertise is, to controlling situations. The number one rule in any situation when communicating with somebody else is to make it about them. That's the number one rule. Our brains are wired to defend ourselves and to make it about us. Here's a simple explanation of how it works. So if I was to ask you what primary school you went to, what was your first school? Mm-hmm. You would answer me, <laughs> primary school. Think about that. It doesn't really uh, matter now because I'll ask Nadia. Do you know when I asked that question? Of were course. you thinking of your own primary school? That's I know that trick. So there I you see. go. Yeah. So it's a party trick, <laughs> and it's not actually. So what it is is our brain is. Whenever we talk with people, we're reflecting on ourselves, and that's where unconscious bias comes from, and that's where all of these things that interfere with good communication. So the. The way we overcome that is to ask open-ended questions. We ask the other person about themselves. And we might start off with, there's an acronym which you may have heard called TEDS, Tell, Explain, Describe, Show. That's how you start your sentence when you're asking, talking with somebody else. So you might say, explain to me what you need this item for. And so they start talking, you make it about them. And that's the number one rule. The second rule is never be afraid to give something away first. 
instead of becoming defensive, give something, even if it's a cup of tea. Right. Something simple. Now I feel obliged because I've got a cup of tea sitting in front of me to stay here. It's not expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Now I feel obliged like I have to give you something. So so that's the way human behavior works. Okay. Yeah. So the number one thing is make it about them. Ask them about them. Don't guess. So ask, don't assume. I like little those little mantras, you know, ask, don't assume. Ask people, don't think you know, ask them. So let's bring this into maybe practical approach to maybe a, a negotiation with a you know with a customer or something like that so Nadia is in her accounting practice and she's got a customer who's maybe angry about having to pay too much tax right <laughs> yep. calls and clients yes clients. sorry yes. yes all right and so I guess and it is a bit of an open question you can do with this what you will you know what are some hints for Nadia and I guess there's some hints in what you've already spoken about yep. but you know maybe that practical approach she's got a client who is, who is quite obviously you know upset about mm. something along those lines what can she do to help her deal with that well in that situation um, I'm quite right that if you're paying lots of tax you're making lots of money but that's not the way they don't want that as an answer so they, what they prefer to hear you say is so how is paying so much tax impacting on you so you ask them about them. So if you can bring emotions into it, so in every single conversation there is emotions. It, you can't you can't separate talking with emotions. And so what we do is try and bring them both together. So we're acknowledging the other person's situation. Well, this must be difficult for you. You could say things like that, but you're guessing. So how is this impacting on you? Um, you know, what are your thoughts around this sort of thing? An emotion that is... Uh, acknowledged as disarmed so we're making it about them we are talking about how they feel how what their thoughts are which is emotions we don't actually use the word gee this must be emotional for you yeah (laughs) (laughs) you're likely to get a punch in the face yeah but what we can say is you know how is it impacting on you what what are your thoughts around this and then we would get to that that around well you know you clearly you must be making you must business must be going okay because you're making that much money and yes, it is an impact. So acknowledging the emotions would be the great way to start. And just keep asking them questions from what they say. Right. Because uh, if you can focus on one part, when we talk with each other, if you look at people in a conversation, uh, and I like studying people in conversations, you know, in cafes and things, we follow each other's lead. That's how we go down a conversation. Mm-hmm. And we go down to the very end and then we find something else to talk about. So why not do the same in business? You just keep it a little bit shorter, that's all. You don't want to be there forever. Mm. When you're going into a negotiation, it's, it's always best to prepare. Get to know a little about the person, what they want, what they're after. And you've got it there, you've got it armed, ready to go. And then, so preparation is, is, is the key for all of these things. Okay. I have another question, which is, again, so pertinent to clients. It's price. They mm-hmm. quite often they think they undersell themselves. Right. A lot of people have difficulty stating the price. Right. And a lot of people have difficulties having boundaries about the mm. terms of payment. Right. It means they don't, they avoid, they taking tactic of avoidance, they avoid having difficult conversation. Mm. They worried that they will spoil the relationship with their customers. And this is most common issue I mm. would meet is them uh, not selling, uh, not g- having a good price, undervaluing yep. what they're doing. And also having a really, really loose terms of trade, uh, which are very hard to enforce. They're introducing the yeah. entire saga 
of following up phone calls, repeat invoices and everything. Mm -hmm. As it might sound as something technical and utterly boring from outside the point of view, but this is their livelihood. Yes. That's what it is. You, your money as good, not as your mm -hmm. invoice, but as your receivables depositing into your bank. Yeah, right. Invoices mean nothing. Yeah, it's, it's quite hard to do. So I've been in business four years and how does it very lucky I've increased business 400% this year. Hmm. And I increased business by putting up my prices. Uh, I was out there trying to get runs on the board, as they say, trying to get a name for myself and I was trying too hard. Mm -hmm. And when people were saying to me that when I, they'd see me do a presentation or you know, teach a team, coach a team on how to deal with angry people, they'd say things like, you should be charging more. And I was like, yeah, yeah, well, I'll get there, I'll get there, I'll get there. And so this year I thought, well, I'm there, let's go and see what happens. People have this, yes, I find it difficult to find a level playing field. So I look, I look around people and I say, what do you charge? What do you charge? But it's, it's in your gut. So I fit in that nice little niche between the people that charge $10,000 for a half an hour and those that charge $1,000 for a day. So I fit in there quite nicely, and it's just a nice little, I guess, piece of the marketplace, and it works. What I'll often do, though, is when I send out a price, or if I'm meeting with somebody, I'll say to them, our price is this. Would that fit your budget? And if it doesn't, then you can always come down a, a little bit. But when you're, you just got to really go with your gut. You'll get an understanding. It takes time to build up confidence to know what you're worth and what your self-worth is. You know, sometimes I've I've charged, you know, I don't know, a couple of grand or three grand or something, and then I've walked into a room of 500 people, and I think, oh, they're getting really good return on investment, aren't they? <laughs> and I feel really bad. <laughs> I drive away going, damn, I should have charged double that. <laughs> at least. But at the end of the day, if you have faith in yourself and in your product, no matter what it is, that's the number one key for me, have faith. If you don't have faith in yourself and in your product, then you might want to change your business. So what was the biggest factor for you that kind of caused you to review that and look at it and say, well, hang on, I'm, you know, I'm worth mm. more than this. I, I think number one thing was feedback for me. So I have a 90 plus percent engagement rate in my coaching sessions. In fact, I was with an organization the other day, a, a council, a local, local council. And they asked a question, was this helpful, yes or no? And 49 said yes and one said no. So I want to find that person. <laughs> <laughs> I want to track them down. <laughs> so that's the sort of feedback I was getting. And additionally, I was getting very, very tired with the product. So I'm selling, I am the product and, and the services that I, and over a year, I was getting very, very sick. So I was working hard to make a dollar and burnout and all that sort of stuff that comes on the stress that goes with it. So i sort of thought and everyone's saying look you've got to put your prices up one day I just did and nothing changed in fact more work comes to me now because people say well it's value for money but you know he charges a bit but the value we get is great and we don't mind paying that because we know the result the feedback is there sometimes you do you know I got told once that you know if you've got a the company that makes those Mont Blanc pens for example they didn't start at a dollar and build up to it well that's probably not that's probably the case, but sometimes you do. Mm. If it's a brand new pen, no one knows it. Maybe well, start you're, somewhere. You're not going to start somewhere. You're, gonna, you're not going to come out and say, well, here's a $10,000 pen. Yeah. 
and then people go, oh, good. We don't even know the product. <laughs> yeah, so you do have to get some runs on the board. So I always say to people, get yourself out there, get your product out there, and just go with your gut instinct. And when gut instinct is the brain, we know that. gut And, and the gut, the heart, and the brain are all interconnected. And so that feeling that you get when things are just right, it's because it is just right. Did you have, just still on the pricing, and we'll move mm. on from that, how did you decide how much more to charge? This is a battle <laughs> that I think a lot of business owners you know, go through, and it's like, okay, well, how do I know how much I'm worth or how do I know how much to charge, what's fair, what's not? Right. How Did, did you have a system that you used to, to get to that? Or? Uh, yeah, I just slowly built up, and, and when you get a couple of rejections, you think, well, that's too much then. <laughs> But that depends on the organisation as well. You know, government organisations, which I do a lot of work with now, don't have money. And I was told you could never go above $2,000 a day. I'm above that, thank you very much. (laughs) And so that was wrong. So the advice that you get sometimes is wrong. It's about finding uh, your niche. So somebody somebody else at the other end of the spectrum said, think of a number and double it. Mm -hmm. So essentially, I doubled my price. Doubled your number. Doubled my number and... Nothing changed. I'm still, getting, in fact, getting more work than I've ever got before. It's a very relevant advice for people with experience, with years and years of hard work behind your shoulders when you have, can validate and can justify this mm-hmm. price. What we have on other end of the spectrum, we have very new startups coming and announcing their price. And we had this in our prior podcast was brilliantly uh, called Illusion. Uh-huh. <laughs> and th- these ones also ca- coming, they brave enough to just go and boldly say, that's what I'm worth. And the question was, why would you worth this? Mm. It, you can explain why you worth that much. Yes. Yeah, you've got to. I mean, you can't just have a, a product, you know, a matchstick, and say, "Oh, I'm going to just charge ten thousand dollars for this matchstick," because no one's going to buy it. Are they? It's a really good matchstick. You can use it three times. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it, the product has to support the price, yeah. and so it's getting that balance. It's getting that balance right, and you know, feedback, customer feedback, is one of the things, one of the keys to this. If you sell a product, and it's something that I guess I'm selling a product when I do my coaching services. I will go back to the client and say, thanks so much. Here's my invoice. And here's also attached as a short survey you might want to run across some of your team so that I can develop my program. That's simple as that. And it's just done on SurveyMonkey or something like that. And Mm -hmm. they just do a quick little. And so it gives me areas to work on. Hard to take sometimes, particularly when you think, what would they know? I'm the expert here. Well, sometimes you just got to bite your tongue and take accept some of the criticism that comes and take it as a development opportunity. So getting customer feedback is good. Don't talk to family and friends about things <laughs> because they're too close, way too close. Yes. They've got too much involvement. You know, I got <laughs> told, oh, you should charge, you know, up here. And no, you know, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. So family have, are, are too close. They're good to have around, they're good for support, moral support, but they don't... Um, You've got to do it yourself. As I say, the more it builds up and the more confidence you get, the easier it becomes. Just know that that you're going to have to be a little bit resilient. People are going to come and knock you over every now and then. And I guess that's just part of life and move on. You know, I got a couple of disappointments today when I landed, checked their emails and went, oh, they're going with somebody else. But then later on today, we want to hear from you about what we've got going. And so it comes and goes. Mm. It comes and goes. Don't get disheartened. Keep going. So you referred to a coaching program a couple of times. Tell us a little bit more about that. The coaching programs that I do come from crisis intervention. So I I teach people how to de-escalate 
angry people. So how to bring people down with both words and body language. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing. But we also teach around emergency response, how to tell the difference between somebody who's just being argumentative, who's being annoying, I pay your wages, you know, that sort of stuff that they do, through to the angry and right up to the aggressive. How to, There's a lot of misunderstanding around that. For example, some people, when they get angry, they will point their finger down, downwards, or they'll bang it on the table. Now, as all they're doing is putting their stake in the ground, they're not aggressive. That's not aggression. This is my position. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's anger, it's not aggression. And some people must say, hey, if you keep doing that, I'm going to kick you out. That's digging the heels in. That's, so it's all they're doing is saying, I'm not going past this point. It's when they start aiming that finger at you, they're pointing at you. In other words, they're poking you in the chest. Right. That's And their words change. So their words will go from just being angry, and it might be swearing, but it turns to, so I call it the three Vs, volume, venom, violence. So with a now spitting poison at you, venom, you're nothing but a effing, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So now their words have changed. So now not only is body language into it, words are into it. So now you know you've got an aggressive person. So we give them three warnings. You know, the old days we used to kick people out, you know, of shops and things, get out, get out, and they'd go. <laughs> <laughs> now they say, make me. So the way the minds, the brains have changed now is if you push on somebody, they'll push twice as hard back. So we just bring something up like say to them, look, I'm just having a bit of trouble helping you when you swear. Nice and humility, we use that. They keep doing it. As I said before, I really can't help you when you swear. Second. Third time, look, it's really not working. and, And in fact, I won't help you. Can I suggest you come back tomorrow or perhaps later in the week? So we leave the door open now instead of closing it. Mm-hmm. If you try and push someone out, they'll push back. Shoplifters are a classic. You know, we used to do with shoplifters. We used to teach security officers to walk up to them and, and say, you've stolen that before they leave the shop. And, of course, they haven't stolen it. So now we get them to walk up with a shopping basket and hand it to the person and say, would you like to put that that's in your pocket into this basket while you do the rest of your shopping? <laughs> So we do that, and they get surprised. <laughs> or, we might, or if they leave the shop as they're going out the store, we might say something like, Would, can I wrap that before you go? So without saying you haven't paid right. for it, can I wrap it? Can I wrap that? Before? In other words, you've stolen it. You know, not a lot of occasions they'll just throw it at you. Great, you've got your product back. And they won't come back. So it's humility these days. We used to meet so anger with anger. It's a bit of humor there. Can I wrap it? Yeah, it, it is. It's, <laughs> Well, people get stunned by it. They're like, really? Did you come up with it or who came up um, with it? Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, we, I'd never like to take credit, but <laughs> humility. So we used to meet anger with anger mm-hmm. and it worked. So baby boomers, my generation, we would yell at each other and walk away and think we both won. <laughs> and life was good. <laughs> and we both called each other idiots, you know, as under our breath as we went away. These days, and in fact, even baby boomers, we, we become even angrier than we've ever been before. Let's not go down that road. And so now people are coming back with violence. Mm. So by using humility, you can pick people up, lift them off the ground and put them wherever you want them without them even knowing it. Mm. Somebody said to me the other day in a session, aren't you being manipulated? No. You're manipulating them if you want to think that way because they don't know you're doing it. You're doing it so nice. You're almost creating a language of new earth where people actually <laughs> becoming elevated and high themselves. Yeah, that's it. That's it, that's it. <laughs> I, I noticed that kind of with that approach, 
you seem to be focusing on the behavior, not necessarily the person. Yeah, that's it. So I'm assuming that's That's exactly where it comes from. It's all based on the psychology. So I, even in safety, I teach around psychological safety, not keeping your brain straight, but keeping yourself focused across your day. We know that accidents happen not because it's an accident. It's because somebody has probably lapsed in concentration. And so I teach how to stay concentrated all day. Okay. and how to stay energized the crawl day. So our brain runs on protein, and as we get across the day, it runs out. <laughs> so there's just nothing left, and you can eat and do whatever you want. It will help. You can hydrate, which is very, very good for you. There's a couple of other techniques. Going for a 15-minute walk will energize you, will give you endorphins into your brain, will help there. Smiling is a very good one. So when you smile, you produce serotonin and a little bit of dopamine. And the other one is look forward to good things coming up. That's the one I like. Oh, you know, okay. so, so what we're doing is we're sitting here in an interview situation and Lance is looking forward to this finishing <laughs> so, so he can go and relax. Really? So, he can, so he can relax. So I get a shot of dopamine when I have that little thought. Okay. So something's coming up in the weekend and you think, oh, that's right, I've got that footy game on. Oh, that's right, I'm going to go. And so you get this little, you know, we all feel good when we do it. So that's yeah. dopamine. And that will energize your brain for the afternoon. Also, you can't stay concentrated all day. We know and cricket is a classic example, the game of cricket. When do wickets fall after the afternoon tea break? One, we're out of energy. And two, we've dropped the ball, literally. Mm. We've had a cup of tea or a drink and we've relaxed and we've just, that's when accidents happen as well. And wow. towards the afternoon, we've got no energy. So what we do is we focus across the day. We, we get into our work, and we might get into that little you know, complacency, I guess it used to be called. And now I, I see somebody's calling it busy brain So because our thoughts are going elsewhere. So we bring ourselves back to the moment every 15, 10 or 15 minutes, and we look around us. So, oh, yep, I'm all good, and away you go again. And you just keep doing that to energize your brain. into. It's called situational awareness. Military use it, um, you know, police use it. Where am I? Where am I going to? What's around me? Where are the dangers? And yes, you do use up energy, but then it becomes like exercise. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. So are there any other... The focus thing is really interesting to me. I, right. I spent a bit of time working on, you know, personal effectiveness and, uh-huh. and staying focused and helping people. So I find a, a major thing with, my clients, when they first come to me, is they're quite often overwhelmed. You know, they've just got too much going on. Mm. They're not focused on probably the right things, whatever. So the focus thing really interests me. So have you got any other tips that you use to maintain focus? I think you're right. We have way too much going on in our lives. And it's about unraveling what is important to us. There's two techniques I use. One is called the balance wheel. I call it the balance wheel. So how to bring balance back to our lives. It's an actual practical exercise. It's hard to explain. You know, sort of draw a circle and you divide it into eight and you put what's important to you on each one of those little spokes. And then you're one to ten and you work out on one to ten of each of those spokes where you sit. And then you draw a line around it and it tells you whether you're balanced within the circle or not. That's great. Because all you're doing is, and it has to be done with a pen and pencil or, you know, a pen and a piece of paper. Okay. And the reason for that is it unravels our brain. So um, if you're born after 1980, you have 90,000 thoughts a day. Whereas old people like me, we have 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day. So the brains are going flat out. Stop it, it's bad for you. (laughs) And the other one is, you know, I've met with people who said, my life is so busy, I've got so much going on and work. Look at how much work I've got. 
oh, let's write them down. What have you got to do? And, you know, they always come up with five, <laughs> five things. And they go, oh, there's much more than that. Oh, well, well how much more? And I go, I'm not sure. And I, you can see them start to get embarrassed. And so we think, oh, but each one of those five tasks, there's a lot in it. All right, yeah. well, let's go on each one of those tasks. Yeah. There's only ever two little jobs within those <laughs> right. five tasks. So we may get to ten. Right, which ones can you give away? Which can, ones are unimportant? Which ones are we going to focus on? Let's number them. Right. One to three. So that's, that's prior- all that's left. That's prioritisation. Yeah. And that's what you do. And some people, they want to do the difficult things first. Other people want to pick the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah. Get as much done as, and, and to get that energy going. Yeah. So it's up to you. But, you know, pen and paper, there's lots and lots and lots of good research out there around writing stuff down and how it does. If you've got a difficult challenge in your life, you want to make a difficult decision, shall I sell the house, shall I get a new job, whatever, write it down, do the pros and cons, and write those down as well. And when you write stuff down on a pen and paper, it puts it into your subconscious brain. And, of course, you're either going to be in the shower you're going to be exercising or mowing the lawns or vacuuming the house, polishing the car, any of those mundane jobs that we do. And all of a sudden, that idea, or three in the morning, mm. <laughs> when you really need it. It can be dangerous. <laughs> you never write down anything that happens at three in the morning because it's always rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> but what it does, the idea will come to you. Yeah. Because it's in your subconscious. Never make major decisions at 3 a.m. in the morning. I think that's no. the message. No, absolutely um, not. I'm hoping, right, that a whiteboard is equivalent to pen and paper because mm-hmm. for me I love using the whiteboard absolutely and for me also that's how I that's how I learn okay so when I'm studying I will write things on a whiteboard because it's alternate to, to pen and paper mm-hmm. and it works it's an absolute treat yeah okay mm-hmm. yeah that's great I'm constantly finding as I especially if I'm um, you know generating content or ideas or whatever yep. the case is I'll start on the whiteboard mapping things out and then oh, quite often I end up with too much. Work. So I'll have to take a photo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I can come back to it later on. Yeah. That's really cool. Where can people find the balance wheel? Um, there's, there's quite a few places out there that do it. Okay. You know, so you, if you just Google the balance wheel, it'll come Google up. And it'll, yeah. Google, Google it. Oh, are you allowed to do that these days? I'm not sure. Yes. Yeah. I, I, always, I always teach people never Google if you've got an injury or an illness because you'll die. <laughs> so, well, at least you don't think. Google it. You know, you'll always end up with um, what is it? Rash, <laughs> nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, heart palpitations, cancer, death. And as all you did was put in there, why did my fingernails keep breaking? You know, right. <laughs> and if, you, if you're on medication, long term medication, don't Google that. Yeah, because you are the one percent that dies from yes. the death. <laughs> so, yeah. so go to the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Get your advice from, some, Get you from a professional, somebody. yeah, who will then jump on Google Medical. <laughs> Do- Dr. Google. <laughs> they will jump on Dr. Google every time. I have a, a bit loaded questions, but uh, what made you, I really was, uh, I, I was reading your book and wow. I, looking at your blogs and, uh, well, you have a blog and I looked at a few of your articles and everything. At what point of time have you realized this ability in yourself to help mm. people? Cool, you loaded question, all right. <laughs> I had depression. I had burnout. In 1999, I actually had suicidal ideations. I wanted to kill myself. I was working for the police at the time and doing ridiculous hours and three years without a break when I was... 1999. I, 1999 was my darkest... And what month was it? I don't know. We don't, we don't, we don't go there. That was when I wanted to jump out the window. 
It's the year I arrived to the country. Ah, so it might have been a coincidence. <laughs> oh. I know Nadia's here. I better. <laughs> I can joke about it now, can't Somebody, I? Nadia jumped in. I'm going to jump out. <laughs> There's only so many people we can have in the country. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, yeah. So I had a, I had a terrible, terrible time to be honest. Uh, and the diagnosis at the time was accumulated stress disorder. And I was doing some long hours, some horrible jobs, and you know, it's in, it's in, clearly it's in my book there around. Some of the and stuff you've been that down, some of the stuff that had, yeah yeah and I the stuff that you have to do and it builds up and you don't tell your partner about it because why do you want to go home and bother them? In fact, what you should do is actually go and tell them. So I had a bad time and and I started reading. Now, take a step back. I joined the police at the age of thirty five, mm-hmm. so I was a builder before then and had no idea what the stuff was like and how it could build up on you. And then when I finally did fall over, I started reading and I read a self-help book. And I look back on that book now and it's, I think it was called Louise, it's from Louise Hay, is it You Can Heal Your Life or something like that? And I read it now and I think, oh, goodness me, what would you get out of that? It doesn't sort of make sense now, but it was, it saved me. And then I decided to start studying and, you know, with three diplomas and a master's later, all of a sudden, and so I just started learning and I had this thirst for knowledge. And when somebody could show me that you can learn, you know, I would have been diagnosed with ADHD, I think, when, as a child because I was just a little Well, little you also was diagnosed with a shoplifting as a child. <laughs> I did shoplift when I was a child too. You have read the book, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I but have all read the, the book. I, I did become a police officer though, so I've made yes. up for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the shop that was there is now gone. Right. <laughs> And you got a thing for the girls in bikini. Shorts, shorts, shorts. Shorts. And bikini. Shorts. Ah, right. Short shorts. Right. Yeah, yes. That's it. So. You've read the book very well. <laughs> I remember quite a few things. <laughs> I really want to, I guess, help people. But, uh, you know, there was an interesting thing you said, when did I ever know that this was? Exactly. Well, I'll tell you, probably about a month ago. It was when it was a sudden realisation of... So when I do my blogs now, they're all based on research, I know, but they're research or readings that I've done a while ago. And so I go back to to try and get it it's right. But it's just in the last... 102 one. articles. Are they all written by you? Yeah. Really? Yeah, absolutely. That's how many articles you've written? Yeah, I write... Uh, so I was blogging every two or three days, but then, yeah, it's up to... I do it once a week now because obviously it takes a lot of time. And I just take research and science and all that sort of stuff and just make an anecdote out of it or perhaps show people. For example, you talked about the, that one about the, called that voice, you know, we've all have that voice. Now, it starts as a ch- in our childhood, you know, eat your veggies, eat, do lock the door so that, shut the door so you can't get out of your bed, you know, stay in your bed, um, doesn't matter if you get dark, if, if you get scared. And that builds up that voice. Mm-hmm. And we all have it. We have a younger self inside of us, and that's our biggest critic. That's the one that when you are feeling down, when you do get low, it tells you that you're an idiot, you're a failure, you should be better at this, you should, you should, you should, and it just continually spins in your head. So that one about that voice and, and how to control it. So I teach people that we are all the same. I love to show people uh, in my sessions, and I do it in every single session, I start off with the brain and how it works and, and how to control all that thinking and stuff, you know. We overthink things way too much, and that's due to catastrophization. So I teach how to stop that. And then I talk to them about that voice that continually plays on our mind and how to stop it and why it's there. And then I finish off with something called the impersonator, which is another thing we have inside of us. Again, all associated. The impersonator is somebody that tells you that 
you shouldn't be doing this, that you're not as good as the next person, that to wait till your birthday or to wait till Christmas till I do this, I'll just put it off for these, you know, and it just talks to you the whole time. It's you. The way I, I say to people, you know, never go to bed early. Why? Because that voice comes to you inside your head and says, I'm glad you've come to bed early. I've got a couple of questions to ask you. <laughs> and next thing, you, it's, you know, three in the morning and you, you're talking to, and it's yourself. There's no one in your room. It's in your head. And so really all of this stuff is around controlling your thoughts. And you become good at it when? I, I'm, I'm still not good I'm at it. <laughs> I will hunt you down for this. I, I'm not good at it. I still aren't. I forget this. So I teach a technique of how to get to sleep within five breaths. Uh, it's called the nine breath technique. And it, it seems you to said work. five. And then yeah, it's five. Nine. But most people go to sleep within five. Okay. And I learned this on the course I was on, in fact, in Byron Bay. And positive psychology course. And I was... I've started to use it to get to sleep, and other people have now found it's very, very helpful to get to sleep. But I keep forgetting it when I'm in fight or flight, when I'm trying to get to sleep, and I can't get to sleep, and I'm, the stuff's going on inside my head. And then all of a sudden, this, this thought will come, what about breathing? And I go, ah, oh, I never thought about it. I mean, how silly is that? And I teach it. Mm-hmm. We know it takes 60 to 80 days about to change a habit, about 60 to 80 days, not 21 days. And so that's why your brain holds you in positions. Uh, there's a friend of mine who's writing a book due for publication in August around the, the 21-day myth. It's now that she's proven that it's not 21 days. So that's a long time to change behavior, isn't it? Like worry is... Uh, that, that, that's why it's d- difficult because it you have to stay committed and of course it's it's hard to stay on focus your brain will try and trick you at 21 days. That's where it comes from. It'll say, hey, 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 you need to come back here. It'll make it's know, comfort. It's Something stu- I know, but it's, yeah, and that's why a lot of people, not a lot of people, some people find it hard to come out of the mire when they are in depression. Apart from you know the things that are going on in their head, you know, and chemical imbalances, etc. Because they know this, they are comfortable in their uncomfortableness. It is safe and it is secure. They fear coming out; they'll get hurt again. They fear coming out; things will change. They fear that they won't be able to come out, so they may not even start. And it's giving people confidence that, look, you need to start taking control and you can do this. It's not an immediate process. It's not like taking a pill. The conscious and unconscious mind is not like, here, here's three, here's an injection, here's some pills. You'll be fine. It's I, I, not. I suffered from insomnia. And when I read about you popping the pills and that, you, know, <laughs> you used to go uh, sleep, you just knocked yourself out. Yeah, I slept uh, like a baby. Yeah, I, I, I can relate <laughs> Waking to every half hour. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I basically read it and I could, it's resonated with me because I would go through the, some crisis in life and the only thing would, I would be resistant mm. to the, mm. these sleeping pills. What do I do? Are you popping pills now? Or you so taught like so many no. degrees later, you can get to So um, I can get to sleep, although I'm, I am a terrible sleeper, but I find that I can get to sleep. It's staying asleep is, is my biggest one. Now, one thing is as you get older, <laughs> things change biologically, but I do drink a lot of water. So at some point I have to do get up and go to the toilet, which is <laughs> it's just one of those physiological things. I've never slept better in my whole life than I am now in the last year or two. One, because I'm safe and secure. Two, I've got a good business going. I've got a great family surrounding me. And my wife, God love her, she's been with me for... Donna. We've been Donna. We've been together for 42 years. You know, we've been married for 38. I hope I've got that right. 
Well, she will let no, you. No, thirty-eight. Know. It was. Yeah, yeah. No, I've got it wrong. I've got it. Only if I get it once. I've got it. No, I've got it. Yeah. So, so I, I feel a lot better and a lot more comfortable. Sometimes I don't sleep, and when I don't, I don't care anymore. Now, one of the things about not getting to sleep is we worry that we aren't getting to sleep and we're going to be tired the next day. And that plays on our mind. And then the next night, we worry that we're not going to get to sleep. And then the next night, let me tell you, physiologically, you will crash at some point. And I've developed, so I have a, a document I can send to people for free. They just got to go into my website and ask me to lift my Google rankings <laughs> on how to get to sleep. And, and a lot of it is we weren't told. So, for example, it's said if you don't get to sleep within 30 minutes, it's best to get up and go and read a book and then come back. To, I, don't, I say stay there. If, I'm if, the same. I'm too if, lazy. If, it's, it's, it's the same. So I say stay there. Just think about one thing and just think about that the whole time. Stop your brain. So I teach how to slow brains down and how to, how to you know, our brains are busy. So how to start with something big moving down to something small that's stopped. And you do that three times and you will be asleep. It's just stay in bed. What? And it's, it's said that you shouldn't have naps in the afternoon. It is said. Uh, I say have a nap. Don't come around my house on a Saturday and Sunday <laughs> afternoon because I'm having a little power nap. You know, I, I, so I'll, I'll do half an hour. Exactly. Just like well, some people don't into... like it, but oh, some I people wake it. up. Oh, I, the I get energized when you drift and came to sleep, it's the heaven. That's it. So it's it's what works for you. <laughs> don't force this stuff. You know, we get a new pillow and we have it for an hour and we throw it on the floor and go, that pillow's no good. Well, it's only been an hour. <laughs> Let's try it for two or three nights and see what happens. You know, so don't just... Try and relax as best you can. I I had insomnia. I had insomnia, and uh, now I, I don't. One, uh, I don't have it so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, after this, we will see. How is uh, <laughs> practice? What you preach? <laughs> what uh, I never preach. <laughs> I suggest. Okay. Well, that, that's English <laughs> is your first language, so you can play with this. And I have to just sit and take oh, it. Like it's it. fine. So you're it's very good at this. So basically, the biggest problem of startups, yep. they don't get enough sleep. They work themselves silly. They, right. they go, it's, I talked to Terence about it. They invoice at night or do something mm. silly things, which other people should be trying to do for them. They have this mm. fear of delegation. Now, speaking of fears. You do have an article about fear, and you mm -hmm. believe that you can make your fear work for you. How does it affect? So you use your energy to work for you. Now, I just want to go back, if I can, yes. what you originally say about invoicing. So I was invoicing. So I was, I was that person. So that was just me. And that's how we do when we start a business. So I was doing seven days a week, 12, 14 hours a day. And it does get to you. But Sometimes you would you do it sometimes you have now? to do it. No, I would never do it any differently. No, really, you would no, invoice I would, in I, I would I would I would send invoices on a on a Sunday or a, mm -hmm. and the reason for that is because it's busy. So and you don't want to start paying wages and that's a lot of companies get into trouble. They invest heavily without getting runs on the board. So in other words, they haven't got. They've got a product, they've got this, and they've invested. We've got computers, we've got everyone, we've got people. <sighs> Now what? <laughs> build it and they will come. Not necessarily is the case. So build it 
as they come is yeah. what I suggest. And so now I do. I'm very lucky. My wife works for me and my son. They both work for me. So one does IT and the other one does all the admin for me. So I do have a little team. You um, you have a team of people, are they all your customers, clients or something everywhere you on your Facebook or I stalked you, by the way. Is it legal? Is it normal? Okay. That's uh, illegal. Why? <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> uh, you didn't say anything. There was no. <laughs> so you're always surrounded by people who just have this achievement on their faces. It's uh, like, uh, maybe I'm reading ro- wrong there. Facial yeah. expression, but they have this, they achieved something, and I'm just wondering yeah, what's so those people around you. Yeah, that's believe it or not, no, that's not the case. No, because all of those people that are there that I forgot photos on it, there's not many photos of me on my Facebook page. Those people are people I've met along the way who I mean, achieving, yes, but have all gone through turmoil and have come out the other side. So they are it's successful, fiction. but because they've been there. Or maybe they, it's you take these pictures after workshop or something mm. when they connected to the people who goes. No, um, a couple of them. Oh, yeah, we now haven't you even, will go and have a look at your photos. I again. will go and have a look at my photos again. But no, they weren't after. Well, you're you're right. Some were. So the actual workshop photos, yes. So if you have a look at some of those, yes. So I do understand. During the workshops, yeah, I've, I've seen some photos of when I'm running workshops and their faces, people are just staring uh, at me mm. and I'm intensely and I'm. Thinking, I know. I wonder now. I know why I'm uncomfortable. On, <laughs> I'm up on stage or in front of an audience or whatever. Because people stare like? at me. I was like <laughs> these intense eyes. And I guess it, oh, it, dentists it, hate this as well. Yeah, yeah. You, you so, like a dentist complaining <laughs> about the state of a patient. So I guess it, it sort of goes into your question earlier. How did I know when this is the right thing to do? Well, it's only been a, a recent revelation to me as I've got more comfortable. Uh, I'm the most nervous public speaker ever i'm sure how do you know that that you are the most i would say without a doubt about it i've got this great ability to have this relaxed i guess posture and pose and like when you see me tomorrow at the at the bike conference know that inside me i'm doing backflips really but when i get up there something just seems to happen and i just open up and as i say what happened in your chest when you're on the stage nothing it's all in my stomach and when you get nervous, you get a dump of uh, chemicals into your stomach and it churns up the food and it gives you that nervous butterfly feeling. That's what that butterfly is about. It's just the chemicals on there. And sometimes, earlier on in my career, I didn't even hear my voice for the first five minutes. I'd be up on stage talking and I never heard a word. I didn't know what I was saying. It was just the most ridiculous thing. Oh, and I just crying. kept talking. <laughs> And hoping the words were coming out. I was that nervous. And people come up to me afterwards and go, wow, you are so relaxed up there. <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks. And little did they know, man, I'm about, I was about to throw up on the audience. You know, the front, never sit in the front row of my gigs. <laughs> so it's, in trance of fear. So it is, isn't it? But now, and I still have that nervous feeling, and it's a good feeling. I think once you don't get nervous, then you drop the ball. Mm. So tomorrow you'll see me before any, yeah, particularly keynote presentations. Well, I won't be sitting in the front row. So, <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> so when you're doing those keynote presentations, there's a lot of energy comes with it. And so I'll be down the back and I'll be going through the, and it's only a short, you know, it's 40 minutes, but I'll be going through it and going, oh, yeah, that's what I'm going to say. And then I'll get up and I'll forget the whole lot of what I'm going to say. And every now and then I'll turn around and look to see, oh, that, that picture, okay, I'll talk to that one now. And then it just sort of flows and it's, it changes for every audience. Some people have seen me four times. A guy the other day said, I've seen you four times now do the same 
presentation, but each time it's different. And so I say, yeah, that means that I've read a book recently and I've just introduced something small. So my programs stay. There's nothing older than two years. Has it ever happened to you a bit off the topic, but it happens. You just talk and suddenly an idea pops in your head. Or yeah. it just women process information this way and men mm. usually have to be silent to think. Ah, don't start me on men and women. We <laughs> think exactly the same things. Okay. We do. Men have learned to compartmentalize it, so particularly when we become emotional. So again, it's something that's evolutionary in all of us. We have the same emotions. Is men it have... men's become soft or women became tougher? No, it's... Um, men it, became... It, so we are the same. What men do is we are still the same why, as women. Why are we morphing into change? Well, what we do is, well, yeah, that's good. But so the, what we're morphing to be more like each other, men and women. How boring. Because of social media and because of the fact we're not socializing because we don't talk with people so there's no differences so 50% of our brains everyone in the world is the same neuroscience says this 10% is where you're born 40% is your personality what you've done in your life that forms your personality which is influenced by your culture etc so here's an example a puppy comes into the house and running across towards a man Inside his head, he's thinking, oh, look at that little puppy. That is cute. What comes out of his mouth? If that dog pees on the carpet, I'm going to kick it out. <laughs> and he stands there all bold and strong because men compartmentalize emotions. If we showed emotion thousands of years ago, we were killed. So we've now learned to go, oh, quick, put it in that box. And I call it the SHIT box. Let's put it in there. Let's put it in there. Let's put it in there. And we keep putting that stuff in there. Now we know that men are overrepresented two to one in depression, four to one in suicide because of, in part, or mostly, I think, because of that one little reason that we compartmentalize. Or they explode and make all the walls or dirty. They, that's exactly it. So we just, it's an ugly sometimes we just let it go and it all hell breaks loose. So it, so we do, th- men and women think the same But, in emotional situations. Well, I was prepared prefer to think otherwise. However, <laughs> we always be considered to be superior to you guys emotionally. Ah, right. yeah, emotionally yeah, that's right. and multitasking, you intellectually. Is that, is that, that part of it? Uh, multitasking is, was cancelled recently, <laughs> completely off the chart. It, is, it is no such thing. We can hold three things in our frontal lobe and uh, women have got this ability to change from one to the other very quickly, mm-hmm. which is simulates multitasking. Okay, so but it's an illusion because it's, it's unwavering. Yeah. Fo- unwavering I don't want to get into that discussion. No, that's true. <laughs> I'm sitting too close to you. <laughs> so with fear, if I clean it up a right. bit, yeah, this fear. question, fear, right. how can I utilize the energy of fear? So fear is just energy. Every, right? Everybody's scared. Every, yeah, yeah, everybody's scared to start a business. Everybody's scared to yep. say no. Everybody's yep. scared to say yes. Totally agree. So I, uh, you, you've heard me. I like mantras, don't I? Yes, Run yes. to the fire. I call this run to the fire. If you fear something, run to it. Go towards it. That's what emergency responders do. That's what you know, special forces soldiers do. That's what the army do. Do you see this man? Yes. He is a firefighter. Yeah. What do you do? You run to the fire. Put it out. So I like it because you use the energy in a positive way. It is fear is designed now fear is where we freeze. So you've heard of fight, flight and freeze. For a lot of us, when we fear something, we freeze. We just stand still. We don't, we're unsure whether to go forward, to go back, whatever. You know, if somebody, somebody was to walk in here now with a gun and fire it, the whole, all, all of us in this room would freeze mm-hmm. because it's an immediate shock. 
And then as our brain started to, to come down a little bit, we'd then say, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to run to the fire and tackle that person with a gun or are but we going to run away? Biologically, what yep. freeze is supposed to achieve? Freeze it just gives you time to hold in so that position. you don't position. have the time. No, you position. don't. And so that's why <laughs> that's why animals end up in possums in a headlight. You've heard that one, haven't you? <laughs> they've got fear of the headlights. They just say like this and they get run over by a car. So freeze is not something that we should do. So run to the fire. You know, it's, business is a funny thing. And I was reluctant to start my own business. And there was a, a good friend of mine and Jonathan, what who you know. What was your fear? Why did of, you? of failure. Exactly. Fear of failure. And being found out of you know that it's that it all comes from that imposter and so i had some good people around me that said look don't the the worst part of going into business is making the decision to go into business <laughs> once you go into business you think what was i worried about it happens it unfolds <laughs> and so that's if anyone out there is thinking i don't really want to do this it might fail don't think of what's the worst that can happen but what is the worst that can happen if you don't do it Mm. You will always think, what if? Yep. And because I'm relatively older now, I wish that I perhaps How old are you? Uh, Am I allowed to ask? Yes, Man, or I'm, you I'm just 60. like a woman now? I'm 60. 60? Yeah. Oh, oh. looking good. Are you fit? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so to me, that's kind of the consequences of inaction. What are yeah. the consequences of not taking action? Because most people think about, hey, what are the consequences if I do this? Yes. But then sometimes they forget to look at the other side. What, you know, what's going to happen if I don't take action? Right. Yeah, and that's it. So guilt and regret. So mm-hmm. rumination, guilt and regret leads to rumination. And, and you know, I, I wish I had. Now, for me, I wish I had is probably worse for you than worry and stress and everything else. Uh, because because you run out of time. Yeah, well, you've got no time left. And you, for me, the timing was right, though. I think it was perfect because I had to build up a knowledge around what I'm doing these days. And uh, and so I produce some videos now. So people say, how can you expand your business to get other people to, well, no, I don't want to do that because it's such a unique product that I've got. So what I've done now is produced short training videos and I'm working with somebody and we're producing workbooks, etc., for these things. So that's how I can replicate myself and it's you know going to be able to be sold internationally and... So that's a, a leveraged product. It's a leverage, so. yeah, that's exactly it. So here's me, and if you want, not me, but you want to, you know, if you've got a 1,000 staff, you can't get, you might be franchised, you know, a jewellery store or whatever across the country or servos or whatever it is, you can run some videos across your organisation and get them to go in and have a look at that. So there's another ability. So, and that didn't come to me overnight. Mm. So I met this person, that person, did a couple, a couple of filmings and didn't feel right and, you know, went with one company and that sort of fell over. So eventually now we've got to a place where trial and error, that's a, it's a reasonable place to be. Lance, so it's all around timing, I guess, and the timing has to be right. Lance, I have a question for you. It's I came across with this term recently and I just said that's what was my fear as well. The imposter syndrome. The yeah. imposter syndrome. Can you unpack it a bit for our listeners? Yeah, it's, it's it, an interesting one. I was just like, wow. Well, it's part, of fear. It's part of fear and all that sort of stuff. Our brain wants to keep us in the same position so that it knows what it knows and it's comfortable. It's designed, I guess, to keep us safe. It is, and that's evolutionary. Uh, but what it does is it says to you, it compares you with other people. You know, you, you look at other people. I'm sure we've all done this. We've looked at somebody and said, I bet they had an advantage. I bet they had money. I bet they had contacts. I bet they had. And so I started reading uh, autobiographies 
No, they didn't. All they did was they ignored that voice inside their head and they stepped outside of their comfort zone. It's a horrible step to take, can I say. It really is. So I, I can recall, you know, three months after starting my business, I built this website and thought, yay, hey, launched it and they'll come. And so I'd, I'd gone, I'd just left the police and I was on a holiday with my wife in Europe. So um, police give you a bit of money saying, thank you very much, shake your hand, here's a lot of money. So we decided to go on a cruise and, and get rid of it all. <laughs> and so I built this website and I thought, oh, and I didn't have one person come to it. It's like, what's wrong with me? You know, and I remember picking up the phone and doing cold calls. Hi, I'm Lance. Hi, I'm, I'm, we're not interested. Sorry, no one interested. Oh, would you mind if I sent you some? And I started building scripts. And, you know, I'd be sitting downstairs in my pajamas at three in the afternoon doing emails and phone calls. Mm. I wanted to get myself out there. I wanted to build a business. So, so that thirst and that hunger, and you didn't ever want to let it go. And, you know, sort of three, four months down the track, you think, why am I doing this? And you'd find yourself sneak up to one of those hiring, you know, labour hire places or something like that or a situation's vacant and, and think maybe I should get a real job. Again, it's that imposter. It is that one that says you are never as good as you think you are. I know people in high positions that are waiting for somebody to come along and say, hey, this is not you. We found out that you're not as good as you think you are. Get out. It's designed to keep us safe. But it's our archaic brain, or they call yes. dinosaur brain. It's what about I, I can't reconcile these archaic things to keep us safe and this uh, self-actualization with yeah. Maslow here. Yeah, I love Maslow. So, so where, where do we fit in between? Um, so, yeah, Maslow's an interesting little guy. If he's around now, I think he probably changed his model. You can't get to self-actualization, which is the top of it, if you haven't got the basics, which he was right. Yeah. Food, water, shelter, air. And money goes alongside that these days. And because that, it's security. Because that's the, and that's the safety and security, yeah, isn't it? So exactly. all of those would be joined together now, wouldn't they? Yes. Socialization is the one that's missing. It's up, uh, completely went rogue because it's just people with, they deprived. Absolutely. So we've got, we've got these phones now, we can do whatever we want and we can send stuff and tell people, we can send emojis and stuff like that, instead of talking to people. So I think really that, you know, I like that self, can you self-actualize with the basics? No, but once you've got the basics, yes, you can. Mm-hmm. And it's about socializing. Go and talk with people. There's ways of doing Because things. do you know what? I was thinking about it and I was thinking, and then I fi- finally, I can't remember what book I read or something came across, why humans being so weak and fickle in comparison, is it the right way to say it? But we are in comparison to other species, lions, um, I don't know, even horses. And mm. like, we excel in evolution yep. better. And what is it about us so different? Because we are not very strong. We, um, yeah, we that's, that's interesting. Strong. So we, we spend more time in our left brain than in our right brain. So animals spend a lot of time in their right brain, which is the danger brain. It's always looking for danger. It's always, whereas humans spend a lot of time in their left, which is logic, list, language, calmness, you know, working stuff out. So that's the difference between humans and animals. And they, We are left-brainers. And I also think, well, it's, it comes as a support of everything you have said so far. We are successful as a species because we, we are communicating with each other. Yep. The neuroactivity while we're communicating is exploding. Mm. In comparison, me reading a book and learning from the yep. book, my neuroactivity in comparison when I'm talking to you yep. would be pale. Yeah, that's right. So when we're reading a book, we're in our left brain. And when I talk to you, I probably... I don't want to get into any... (laughs) 
um, philosophical discussions oh, around this or whether that, it's religion or evolutionary or whatever. No, I'm not going there. Oh. <laughs> whatever. You have to pick somebody else for that. <laughs> I stick to what I know. I'm well, sorry. I might interview Pop one day. <laughs> uh, good luck. So. <laughs> Do you have contacts? <laughs> Do you have no. his phone number? I have somebody in Venice that could help, probably help you. Have you got yeah. the audience? <laughs> I just want to come back to quickly where you say run to the fire. Yes. Right. And are some people naturally better equipped for that uh, than others? Yes. So, again, it comes down to now some people call it resilience, some people, and it's all to do with our childhood and our upbringing. I met a guy and heard a guy talk. He's over here quite a bit. He's a Kiwi guy called Nathan Wallace. Interesting guy. He knows everything about brains from birth right through to teenagers. And, uh, you know, the first thousand days, it's, it's something that stuck with me, the first thousand days of our life forms who we are. And so if children are challenged in the right way, they will not only become more resilient, they'll become more resourceful, they'll be, they'll be looking to go to the adventure and do the challenges. Whereas, and it all, it's all to do with parenting. So if our parents said to us, you know, we know this with twins, if they say to one, oh, you're the tidy one, oh, you're the clever one, that's how they'll grow up. It's so programming. It's programming, yeah. And, and so people, they think, oh, I'm the tidy one, so I'll just tidy and you can study. So, you know, that one parent being at home for the first year, full time, determines how a child will grow up. So there's all these number of factors, and it comes out of something called the Otago study out of New Zealand. It's, it's the longest study that's ever been done in the world. And I think it's up to 50 years now from birth, right? And they just followed this group of people. Okay. And it's just revolutionising the way we see things it's, it, these days. And, of course, MRI scanning. In the 80s, we would measure a child's circumference of their skull to see if they're intelligent or not. And I look back on that and go, really? <laughs> Probably wasn't telling us that. How <laughs> clever is that? <laughs> and then, you know, 1990s, we had MRI scanning, so we could read the brain a lot more. And now we have high-frequency MRIs and we have PET scanning and all those. So we're learning and learning and learning more and more and more as we, as we go through about human behaviour and development. Okay, so some of us maybe, you know, from childhood mm. have a better ability for, yeah. you, know, you can call it resilience or running to the fire, however you want to put it. How can, you know, if we don't have that mm. from childhood, can we strengthen that muscle? So yeah, we can. We can. So it's, it comes from sort of a psychology immersion therapy. And, and I, one of the things I teach is if you don't like doing something and it's part of your job, do more of it. So you <laughs> become accustomed to it. Otherwise, you fear it. Again, run to the fire. So you can. We know that from people who fear of flying or fear of spiders, they slowly introduce them to that and they keep doing I it and then there's no fear. I desensitizing. Same as desensitization is exactly the same. If, if we're allergic to something, they will slowly introduce that product that you're allergic to to get used to it. It's exactly the same thing. I want to ask another question and it's just a very quick one, but it just... I read a few articles and one and in review and everything. Psychopaths, CEO, uh -huh. and all this. Kind of, there is a connection between people in mm. power and their psychopathy. Psychopathy? Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, I <laughs> is it true? Is it a wife's tale? Or no, really? it's true. So, um, so, yeah, I don't know too much around psychopathy or oh. psychopaths. Have a stab. But it is said that 
we know that some soldiers, special forces soldiers, etc., have a, a tendency towards some traits. Athletes, extreme athletes, also have that. So people that do ultra marathons, etc. You can't go and run a 100-mile race, in my opinion, as a normal person. Because <laughs> it's just not in your, you know, and... There's some wonderful people doing wonderful things out there. It has to, you have to be different. I saw, I was lucky enough, I went to Delhi Commonwealth Games and the London Olympics. And in Delhi in particular, where it's, I don't know what it was, about 40 degree heat, a boxer had to lose some weight. So he put on 100 jackets and rode a bike in the sun for two and a half hours in the beating down sun to lose weight because he had to lose weight for this fight the next day. Now, I put it out there that perhaps, yeah, you've got that desire to achieve, but you can't be quote-unquote normal to mm. do that. So mm. there's got to be something there. Narcissism is another thing. So narcissism is, and I can think of straight away a world leader that is that has those tendencies. So they, it's all about them and how good they are. Well, in a business context, you quite often facing narcissism would be group narcissism. When you belong yeah. to certain organizations, there is complex of superiority and all this happening. Yeah, true. But this psychopath and in business really struck me because we do deal every day with mm. people certain which have lack of empathy which just mm. talk to you like you just uh, something completely yeah. Yeah. belittle you in every step of yeah. the way and that's so what are the traits of psychopaths i don't know why i'm talking about it, it just interests <laughs> me I, I don't know enough about psychopathy to talk about it to be honest the reason why yeah, I ask we, we, we do know that a lot of criminals yeah so well, well in that respect i can talk to you about that because i've I actually met with them and, and and spoken with them and negotiated with them one in particular i was thinking about he killed a young man strangled him in the back of a prison van strangled him with his own hands and every year that criminal goes mad and goes off the rails And so this one year, he about his third or fourth anniversary of the death of the young man he strangled, he kidnapped another prisoner, tied him to a chair and was cutting his throat with a knife. And then I was called in to do some negotiation with him. Now, what's happened to that when you find out criminals in particular, particularly those people that are, that are psychopaths, there's something that's happened to them in their childhood. As a general rule, they've had all of their emotions beaten out of them beaten, burnt, kicked, whatever. Um, so there is a couple of psychopaths in prison in New Zealand that I've met and that have read about. And so with them is all we do is we play on their ego, which allows us to replace that. But it's very hard to, if you've got a, what you're saying about a psychopathic CEO, it's very, very, very hard to get through to those people. I know I'm going into a, a, a in a couple of weeks' time, in fact, next week, I've got an organisation. I've been warned that the boss who's coming along to it is one of those people. We're not naming. Has no, no, we're not naming. <laughs> has absolutely no empathy, has no EI, no emotional intelligence, does not know how to deal with staff. And so I'm going to have fun. But some people say, argue that the emotional intelligence doesn't exist. It's, there oh. is no such a thing as a science about it. No, Nobody detects it and mm. nobody can measure it. I think perhaps, so I'm not big on the term emotional intelligence, but I guess it's a term that's nice. Some of us are able to identify in others or be more empathic or empathetic, whichever you want. I prefer empathic because empathetic for me sounds like sympathetic. So I prefer the word empathic, but they both mean the same. So some of us are more like that. Now, I, having gone through depression myself, can see it in others and others can see it in me. We don't know what it is, but that's what happens with parts of the brain when we have been through something we see it in others again it all comes back to childhood 
Some of it's genetic, some of it might be you know, some issues with the brain, but a lot of it is, is learned behaviour or the way we were dealt with in our early childhood. Well, they might be suppressing something. A lot of them are suppressing things, putting it into those boxes and locking it away. That's usually what causes that, that type of stuff. Well, I'm quite happy with his answers. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I think, so Lance is here for the, the bike conference, which yeah. by the time we actually publish this, it will be over for 2018, but I'm sure people can look it up for 2019, and maybe you'll be, you'll be back again for the 2019 bike conference, not sure. <laughs> well, let's see how we go tomorrow. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll gauge by tomorrow's performance. <laughs> but thanks a lot for flying straight in here, coming right. to see us, having to spend some time with us, answering all of our questions, some good, some maybe not so good. Thank and, you. And uh, <laughs> just... just Generally, he, he has to have um, a dig, doesn't he? <laughs> I have got a page full of notes, stuff that I've taken down. and I, I have I think, two, so I, I want. Well, you've got both pages full of notes. Now, tell us where can people find out more about you mm. and buy your stuff? And <laughs> buy my stuff. Yeah, well, I, I don't have a lot of stuff. Yeah, thank you. Um, so if they go to warninternational.com, that's W-A-R-N, international or one word dot com now warn stands for wellness awareness resilience and negotiation that's where that word comes from mm-hmm. if they go there to my website we do have a little shop i have the rubber bands and on that rubber band it's got flick it away but if you look at that it look actually when you read it first up it looks like a different word yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is and i'm getting a a small pin that you can wear on a, a suit or whatever and it's a brain surrounded by a heart a love heart mm-hmm. so the heart will always overcome the brain so that we can identify as we walk on the street, oh, so you've got a badge of honour. You've been through depression. You've been suicidal. You've got a family member. So we can share, you know, we are more similar than we are different, every single person in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and I convince people of that. That's one of the, the things that I convince, as I was going back to earlier, that we are all the same. So if you go into my website, there's lots of helpful things here, how to get to sleep. If you just go and, and ask for it on the drop-down box, it's under, I think it's hints and tips. If you go in there, drop down, I will send it to you for free. Yep. And have a look around. And if you want to get in touch, you can buy my book off there. It's, it's a bestseller. I, I wanted to yes, ask about it's a bestseller. Yes, the, yeah. Behind the tape? Behind the tape, yep. Uh, yes, and basically you do have a link there to buy a book as well. Yeah, there is. There is and, and you'll get the book signed. It's actually cheaper than in the shops uh, and you'll get it signed. And... Uh, what is mine? I have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've obviously read it already. <laughs> so you don't need it. No, I've seen it. Just... I'll send you one. Visit a, a drawing or something. Yeah, I'll, I'll devalue it for you. <laughs> in um, Russian. Can you write in Russian for us? <laughs> oh, I will be able to. <laughs> so the, the book was written from your heart. It's created an illusion that I know you now. Mm. And when I met you, you just probably say, what this strange lady doing? But it's just created this yeah. illusion of me knowing you. Is how how much of this book is you and how much you did have to write outside? Yeah, it's me. The only thing that I did have to get a ghostwriter and, and Nick is a very good, great ghostwriter. I couldn't have got another better person to do it. So I was writing very chronologically and matter of fact. And the reason for that is I had traumatic events and, you know, you would have read some of them. You know, a normal person's not supposed to find somebody chopping up another human being and putting them into a suitcase. It's just not normal to find that stuff. And so it was buried deep inside my brain. So she came in and, and interviewed me and and I just spoke like I'm talking now. I don't even know these microphones exist. I just opened my heart and as I did so, different parts of my brain opened up. You know, I, I cried a lot through the sessions. I remember there's a unique characteristic that I, I want to do some more research on. Police 
will go through, and it doesn't matter where it is in the world, I, I have to say, seven years, they will have a meltdown yeah. of some sort. And as I was saying that to her, I just suddenly teared up and I said, gee, it was exactly to the day. And I just, it was just amazing. It must be this to do with and so, so much all you can that take. stuff comes, yeah, it is. And so, it's, you know, the seven-year itch and all those. Our brains work in threes, fives, and sevens. So I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to research it, but that's what it is said. So my heart is in that book. And I had to do it, not read it nine times. And I have to say the editing's been done very well. I didn't do the editing on it. But, but you know, those descriptions of walking through the prison, smelling fear, smelling urine, smelling vomit, hearing noises, listening to clanging of doors, uh, that was all me. That was all. And so I describe it in such a way, you know, finding that person get as I walked into that house of this guy chopping up a, a woman after stabbing her and killing her, the blood on the wall. You know, I'll never forget it. You don't forget those things. Taking a, a dying, a, a dead baby off a, a, a young mum, yes. you know, just don't forget those things. That was my sensation was it, it was a privilege of living vicariously. Mm. Is it the word? That's it, yeah. It's, I That's was it. a cop, that cop living mm. through this, which I day to day I'm an accountant, but it's, this book gives me entry to mm. your mindset, to the way you process things and your emotions mm. and experiences. Actually, deep puts you into depression almost in some places and then takes mm. you out because mm. you keep moving on thank and you yeah that, and the is. journey was for me and that's what i wanted it to do just to say that's why it's called behind the tape so what is it really like and you know i talk about some negotiations i did and you know because some of them were t- terrible terrible negotiations a lot of people now nowadays write a book and it's all the tips and traps and everything but people writing from the heart it's that's going to be my second book what from the heart <laughs> no Tricks and tips. I did it the other way around. So <laughs> my next one is on the work I do now. Okay. So how our brains are all the same. Well, I, I am utterly grateful for Thank the you. experience of giving the world in this book. Was coming here generously donating this time, despite the fact that you are very tired. And thank you. Thank you for accepting bite invitation. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's very good. Thank you. So thanks very a lot, grateful. Lance. So warninternational.com. The book is behind the tape. Thanks, Lance Burdett. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Unfair Advantage Project. For more curated resources, visit us at unfairadvantageproject.com.